0: Hello folks,
1: and welcome to This Is Who We Are. I'm Sean Watkins. This is my podcast and my new album. All rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record, paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. And that's the main point. Each guest is either loosely or sometimes directly related to the song in one way or another. The goal is just to use this album as sort of a topical springboard for me and my guests. And from there, we can go anywhere. My guest in this episode is Glenn Phillips. I'm really happy he was able to stop by and talk with me for a while. He's one of my absolute favorite singers and songwriters, and has been since I discovered him in the mid-90s. Most people probably know him as the lead singer of the alternative rock group Toe the Wet Sprocket. They had a bunch of hits that you may have heard. Songs like All I Want, Walk on the Ocean, Something's Always Wrong, Fall Down, Good Intentions. All really great. Um, Anyway, the band broke up in 98, and subsequently, um, Glenn started making a bunch of great solo records. He's got five of them. Um, They're all really great. Uh, I would suggest, if you're going to check out one, his latest is just stunning. It's called Swallowed by the New. Start there, folks. So good. There's so much I could say about Glenn, Um, but I'll just start by saying he's one of the most well-read, articulate, intelligent, insightful, and kind people I've, I've ever met, and that leads into the reason why I wanted him on this particular episode of my podcast. I met Glenn in, I want to say, the year 2001, when I would have been 24, and in certain areas of life, I was still pretty green. I was a late bloomer in many ways, and Glenn was sort of like an older, wise, worldly brother, <laughs> um... I have vivid memories of hanging out with him and my Nickel Creek bandmates, Chris and Sarah, um, early on talking with him about philosophy, politics, religion, relationships, sex, music, everything. There was nothing off the table. Sarah, Chris, and I had all grown up in Christian households, and I remember Glenn being genuinely curious about our beliefs and why we believed what we believed. And we were also very curious to hear about his worldview and where he was coming from Every now and then, Sarah, Chris, or I would make a biblical reference, and I remember many times where he would chime in with a Buddhist proverb or teaching or philosophy, and I remember us thinking, wow, that is pretty much exactly the same idea. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the song in this episode is called Oil on Canvas. Around the time when I was writing it, I was thinking about how amazing it is that we can read these old, old stories written thousands of years ago by people who could not be more different from us in most ways culturally. And yet, some of these stories, at least, uh, could not be more relevant today. And I find that really comforting. And there are other ways we can connect and learn from these people that have come way, way before us in time, Uh, and that is through art and music. Um, We end up talking about that a fair amount in the conversation, but first I want to play you my song for this episode. This is Oil on Canvas.
2: centuries old from the mind and hands of a soul I'll never know it was the dream of some painter to reach through time and comfort a stranger with troubles like mine it's the heartache in lovers eyes it's the darkest day for jesus christ it's the desperation in the throes of war ain't it good to know it's all been done before ain't it nice to know it's all been done before
1: Okay, folks, I'm here talking with Glenn Phillips. We've been hanging out for the last couple hours, and um, we've been talking about a lot of different things. But now we're going to talk about um, one particular idea, which is um, the idea that art or teachings or writings can transcend um, years and millennia and still be really meaningful to to us. Now, and I think um my first experience with that idea was when I was maybe 15 or 16, I was out in the desert with some friends, um friends of my parents, and we went to see some um petroglyphs and they were incredible, way out in the middle of nowhere in the Mojave Desert. I mean, you have to drive for like two hours without seeing anyone on a dirt road and hike up this Canyon. And then you see these incredible drawings that were made, you know, could have been thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, but they were certainly very old. And, you know, I don't really know what they were saying. It looked like there was some kind of, um, indication that there were certain kinds of wildlife around or where to find it or like hunting instructions Mm -hmm. or water, you know, um, and it, it was, it's so, it made me think about how these people living, however long ago they were living, were thinking about their kids and future people and reaching through, you know, past their time to try to communicate something to help someone. And I just thought that was so cool. And then, um, more recently I was at the Getty Center, um, museum here in Los Angeles, really amazing art museum. and. I was walking through and found myself just staring at this one painting I was fascinated with. Um, It was an oil-on-canvas painting, um, self-portrait of this guy who was just really, it was not flattering at all. This guy was old, wrinkly, very fat, and just not, it just seemed like probably exactly what he looked like. And it was amazingly, you know honest, I guess, picture. I don't know exactly what he looked like, but it seemed like it was him drawing himself exactly as he saw himself. And he was looking straight forward in the painting. And I was just completely captivated by it. You know, I felt like he was looking into my soul. Uh And I just thought how cool it is that it's like time travel in a way, you know, to be able to communicate that to someone hundreds of years later and, you know, this this person who painted it, he you know, there was no way to, for him to know how he would affect other people. And I'm sure there's a lot, so many people that have done a lot of amazing art that we haven't gotten to see for one reason or another. But, you know, to be able to stand there and commune with an incredibly old piece of artwork that 100% still has the ability to be incredibly moving or an ancient writing or teaching that still is, you know, as relevant as it ever was. You know, growing up within the Christian tradition, there are some stories in the Old Testament, thousands of years old, that are totally still relevant. Some of them you read and, you know, they're kind of head scratchers. But I guess my point is, even if it's not something that's trying to teach you a lesson, you can get something out of it in that you realize that people are people and we've been struggling with the same things for so long, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's comforting, um, okay, I'm going to stop talking. Glenn, I want to hear your thoughts. Here's my first question. Is there an early experience that you remember having where you felt um, connected to someone who was far away from you uh, in time, like way back?
3: Early experience, I don't know. I mean, more recent experiences I've been reading, and it's a fairly modern translation. It's Daniel Andinsky, who definitely is taking a, a whole lot of... Um, uh, Liberty uh, with with Hafiz, <laughs> but like reading a lot of Rumi and Hafiz, and you know, like it's you know this is twelve hundreds, thirteen hundreds, and it's my favorite poetry. It's utterly alive and contemporary to me, and, and, you know, in terms of its thought and its humanity. Um, so I am having an active relationship with some really old people right now, yeah, and just last year went to. Um, Machu Picchu and just the, the architecture and the design of the place, Yeah, you know, it's only maybe 500 or so years or, you know, 400, Mm -hmm. but it was, I mean, still just stunning to see, you know, yeah, whether it's old architecture, old music, like what ends up coming back to you, especially if it's in a way that's like, grounded and human because there is this selection right what's the conversation that the elites are having which is often the conversation that lasts what are you allowed to talk about and how are you allowed to talk about it Mm -hmm. um and so when stuff comes out and survives that amount of time like a self-portrait that's revealing in the way the painting you're talking about was wouldn't happen at all times and you know for it to right for it to both get preserved and be at a time where somebody's willing to do like your description of the the kind of the nakedness of it in, in terms of like, it's not the most flattering self-portrait. It's like a really human, like kind of tired, not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the stuff you're seeing seeing mm-hmm. in the eyes is like, this is what this guy sees for real when he looks in the mirror. He's not idealizing himself in any way. And to have a gesture like that reach out over time, I think, is a really special thing. I you said something in
1: passing just a second ago that um, it's it's what the elites were talking about, or the the people that had the the means to preserve their thoughts or feelings in some way, right? Because um, like the ability to write something down or to make a piece of art, you know, whereas where there are a lot of people who who didn't have money or were just surviving that didn't have the ability to communicate in that way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So we're, I mean, we're talking about like already just talking about a fraction of people because of that.
3: Well, are you get into I don't know, opera? I, was it you that was talking to me about, it? I'm trying to remember who this person is and I forget where they are right now. They're working on like opera and art for the oppressed, but it was this discussion of, you know, even, Mozart having, you know, I forget if it's Shopkeepers is it, you know, in in one of his operas having common people as opposed to just like gods and royalty. Right. Uh no, that wasn't me. I'm being curious. worthy of opera, that that was actually at the time edgy work. Right. You know, bringing the common people into the opera like you're not you weren't actually supposed to be doing that. Yeah. It's uh they're they're not elevated enough to have a voice and Yeah. Um you know, you have to have a person who already has a certain reputation where they're allowed to do work like that and mm-hmm. fight through to get it, uh, you know, actually get it produced. Right. Um, and then, I, I don't know, other tradi- I think of all the music that's just been lost because it's just, you know, people singing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and if they stop singing it for one generation, it's gone forever. Right. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness for stable oil paints. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I know. Stable oil paints.
3: Written language. Mm-hmm. Another one. I mean, whether it's, you know, the Bible or, you know, Homer's Odyssey, right? It's like that stuff was oral tradition forever. For, and somebody yeah. finally goes and decides that it might be good to put a pen to it. Yeah, then Who knows how much it's changed?
1: I feel like th- this is kind of a different subject, but I was just thinking about all these old stories in, in, um, you know, there's myths, myths within all religions. I think, um, myth in the sense that it's just like not necessarily untrue, but that it doesn't really matter. It's not, that's not the point, you know, like, like, um, I wonder if, you know, wandering tribe of, you know, immigrants, you know, telling these stories that are now, all, you know, what we would call the Old Testament, if they actually believed that they were literal or did it matter? And the point wasn't that it was literal, it was the story, you know, or how it affected you. Do you think that they've
3: thought about them in that way? Um, it's hard to know. I mean, everything, we're narrative creatures. It's like how we define ourselves. We We live by the word. And words, just a basic, you know, root element of language, it shapes how we think, right? Right. You think differently depending on the language you speak. Right. And so, and language, um, you know, the very structure of a sentence is narrative. And so we're always constructing the world around us. And we want to construct a world around us that makes sense, that we somehow feel we understand. So, I mean, yeah. story is the basis of everything in human experience, even the story you tell yourself about who you are, what your body is. I mean, I talked to you before about like when I messed up my hand and, you know, now I have like, you know, pins and needles on one side of my left hand and it feels about twice the size it actually is. And so I have this reminder that like, even my basic definition of my body is, you know, like I'm, when you feel something in your body it's the nerve sending a message to your brain and then you going okay my foot is i think my foot is here yeah. right i think i should put my foot forward you know these the, you have this map but it's not you are not your body like the thing yeah. that you're thinking in your mind is you know it's this network of messages yeah. and memories and self images and we do the same with our personalities with our emotions with our yeah. narratives about what we mean is our work important or not important? Are we important at all? Like, yeah. And so, I mean, of course, societies are doing the same thing. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the stories are probably based on a true thing. And maybe there was a David and a Goliath, but I doubt all the details written down right. in the Old Testament are necessarily exactly as it happened. I mean, you know, even Buddhists, like... I, it was funny to to get into Buddhism from this very Western perspective, mm-hmm. where it was less mystical and very the the way I was taught uh, the rudiments of Buddhism, where it's, um, yeah, there are maybe these myths about the Buddha, but it's all about you know, it's all about your own experience. It's just about meditating and being present in the moment and seeing what is. And then if you look into the stories of the life of of the Buddha, it's like some people will say, well, and his mother was, you know, pregnant for 50 years and it was the seed of an you know, it's like... These crazy stories, <laughs> right. like, it's like, oh, another miraculous birth right. and like, miracle, you know, it's like yeah. the, all these miracles that have to be put around him to validate his teaching, right. as opposed to like, he was a guy, was born into kind of a rich family, found, you know, yeah, <laughs> abandoned some things, <laughs> you know, it's like.
1: Well, the world saw suffering, it wanted to figure out how to. Get
3: around it. Yeah, but you got to give him a bigger resume or you can't take him seriously. So unless he had a miraculous birth or something truly wild happened, why would you ever believe it? You know, some guy in the desert starts talking about love and how God is everywhere and, uh, you know, and, you know, he gets tortured to death and then you have to, you know, maybe make up more stories about his mom and, you know.
1: Do you think those (laughs) stories about... Buddha were uh, tacked on later.
3: Yeah. I mean, my assumption is I mean, we mythologize, even people like I remember. I, I listened to a podcast, a Malcolm Gladwell uh, revisionist history one, and he was yeah. talking about the nature of memory, right? Right. About this reporter who, um, had been in this kind of harrowing situation where a bunch of, um, I think it was helicopters had to like land in the desert in Somalia for a while. Right. And as years went on, the guy started telling the story from the perspective of that he was in the helicopter that got shot, which is why they all had to land. He wasn't, he was in the one behind it. Right. And and it ruined this guy's career as a journalist right. that he started telling it from this perspective. But Gladwell's point is that neurologists understand that when we reach like our memories are bad and yeah. we want to tell a better story. And so as you're retelling this story and it gets more like immersive and you're really as the storyteller starting to feel this deep empathy with the people in the helicopter that got hit you suddenly move yourself into that helicopter right. because not to make yourself more of a hero because it's just it's an emotionally it's a, a more compelling story to tell and your mind requires that you tell that right. story <laughs> yep and so um i and don't just the, think the science
1: like... that you are rewiring your memory every time you think about Uh, remember something, right? You're rewriting that memory. So it's automatically going to have built in decay.
3: Yeah. So then mythologizing people is just, I think, a function of how we remember things. I mean, I have a friend who passed away, like he was an amazing guy, passed away maybe a year and a half ago, one of my best friends. And, And it's interesting to see you know he was a complicated guy with a lot of chapters, mm-hmm. and how in death he's already and he was he was quite a figure when he was alive, but how he's already been mythologized and kind of purified yeah. and uh idealized right and he gets bigger and bigger, and the parts of him that were thornier um fall to the wayside yeah. as the more heroic story uh gets told. Yeah. And there's it doesn't mean that heroic story is untrue. That's the part that people want to remember, the part that even when he's alive it's like you look over these other complexities cuz you want the better story, but um I think understanding that that's Yeah, I don't know if it's a it's a bug or a feature of humanity. <laughs> yeah I like to think it's a feature. It's
1: almost like an evolutionary f- function of, it's like it's losing, I, I mean, it, it, you're you're ending up with something that's a less honest picture of the way this person was, maybe, but it's almost like you're losing the traits that are not necessary, maybe. <laughs> or maybe it's just our human brain wants, wants to cling to the good. It wants things to be more good than they actually are or were. I don't know. But it seems like almost like evolution. Like you don't need that story. You know, Mm -hmm. that story is not really helpful to the, the overall picture of this, this person, you know? And so it just doesn't get, because it doesn't get used, it gets forgotten.
3: And which, and which is the interesting part going back to the song is like your list of, you know, the, the jealousy of uh, the, the, the brother of the favored son and the, you know, The nation that thinks it's number like these thornier things, which are sometimes harder to like the human struggle part Mm -hmm. and the similarity of that. We get a lot of heroism from the past. And there's also these things that are about our flaws. I mean, my girlfriend talks about, you know, when she's teaching Shakespeare, how many things are. You know, teenagers paying for their parents' sins, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Romeo and Juliet or right. Hamlet, these, you know, this inheritance of you're young, and you're Eve. idealistic, you're passionate, and you're having to take on all these things that your parents got wrong right. <laughs> and suffer for it, and and that that's still very much a part of the teenage experience, yeah. right? Uh, and um, S- it, it,
1: suffering for the sins of your parents, yeah.
3: You know, so it's these these other parts, that humanity. I mean, that's the, the cool thing about that portrait is when we see things that aren't just kings and gods, but are about human frailty, yeah. um, about the heart, you know.
1: Yeah. And self-reflection, um, you know, like to me, when I looked at that painting, it was like a guy who was just being totally honest and was like, well, I'm just going to call it like I see it. And it's not going to look great, but it's going to be self-reflection. And when I saw that, I remember thinking, like, "That's we all should do that. I should do that more, you know, not make a painting of it, but sort of just take inventory and look at where I'm at, how I'm treating myself, how I'm treating others, um, how I'm living my life. In a in an honest way and without leaving out the, the the bad parts, you know, because it's easy to kind of go like, yeah, I'm doing good, I'm doing, I'm you know, I've got A, B, and C going, and um, and you know, not in any quarrels with anyone, and I, things seem to be good, and leave out the things that are less fun to think about or
3: acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I mean, the the human condition is you know, essentially unchanged in so many ways. I mean, I, I ran into a guy recently who is a very happy uh, to be an optimist and kind of, you know, looking at, um, you know, just, you know, life expectancy, medical care, like the, the number of the people, you know, it's like percentage of people under absolute poverty or um you know with absolutely no control over their life which isn't to say there's not a lot of not a whole lot of forward movement to be made but it's easy to get down on how things are and then you go like well a large portion of the world has a greater amount of freedom in certain ways than they've you know it's like right there there are ways in which we're not entirely blowing it compared to people from the past and, uh, and giving ourselves some credit for that. And I think seeing, um, yeah, like you said, just how, how the human drama is so remarkably similar in so many ways. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, yeah. And, you know, like that, what you were talking about earlier with the reference from my song, the, um, jealous brother of, the favorite son um i i guess that was a reference to well there's a couple stories in the bible there's there's definitely more Mm -hmm. than a couple where there's the favored the favored son and um and jealousy um that's definitely a that's a major theme actually the old testament um i was also thinking about how if you kind of boil down the jewish writings um in the old testament it's kind of all to me, if there's like one overarching story, it's just this like repetition of violence and or like freeing yourself from something or being freed and then getting sucked back into um, imperialistic mindset, you know, and like going to war and then losing everything and then coming back again and, and like the, the back and forth of violence for violence and mm-hmm. um, how that just happens over and over and over again. And then you get to the New Testament, and the overarching theme seems to be to destroy all of that, and kind of, uh, you know, Jesus offering a 3rd nonviolent way, and talking a lot about sort of what we now would call, like, the absence of ego, and, um, you know, so much of that really seems to line up with the teachings of Buddha. Um, You know, all the stuff about learning to um, separate your personal identity from all of your feelings, you know, your fears, your hopes, your expectations. Um and you know, once you if you can do that, there's a lot of freedom there and a lot of peace. And in the case of Jesus, it led to a horrific death. Um <laughs> but like you make a st- the statement made is that is this third Stop killing this each third other. Oh, third yeah? way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That there is a third way that's nonviolent. And that to me is like that's a good story to uh Mm -hmm. to keep in the back of of my head yeah you know if there's like one major takeaway that's kind of kind of what i take away from the bible as a as a whole and i'm grateful it's like it's so cool that uh there's there's some comfort that you can really take in knowing that and and legitimacy i think when you when you're getting some piece of information from that far back or that a lesson or a story it's got a gravity to it that Mm -hmm that really you can't get from just watching it, you know, something very current, you know, a story that's very current. It has more of a weight to it. That
3: Yeah. Well, I got so into the, I mean, growing up um, outside of the Christian faith and, you know, and kind of starting to read about it more through Apocrypha, right? right. I, I had this weird kind of sideways curiosity, you know, reading Eileen Pagel's books on... Uh, the Gnostic Gospels and right. I was so curious like what got left out right. Uh, but and why? But that for me, like the, the appeal and, and it was interesting talking to, to friends I knew who were Christians, like that there was a lot of emphasis on like the resurrection and redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, and the godliness of of jesus as opposed to the the humanity and the part that deeply attracted me was and still is you know that it was this guy in the desert who was speaking truth to power you know whether it was you know the romans or the pharisees was uh not afraid to be rebellious, was preaching love, was you know including women in his ministry, which yeah, you know Rabbi was really you weren't supposed to be talking to Mary Magdalene, at the time. speaking to the untouchables, right in society, yeah. being inclusive, being brave and open, and that the price for his kind of you know bravery was. Instead of having him be, you know, exalted in this world and, you know, win and have the happy ending, he gets tortured to death. Right. And even at that time, like to tell that story and when you're tortured to death at that time, I mean, there's also this idea that uh, shame was somehow transferable in a lot of societies. Mm -hmm. Like if I kill your son in a shameful way, that carries through your family, that carries through your kids, through his kids, your entire family's name is yeah. no good anymore. And the something in the Christian story was also saying, and he, like rather, like I thought it was a beautiful thing that right. like he still wins, righteousness right. wins, truth wins, love wins no matter what, right? Yeah. And so like the heaven and hell redemption part is like, yeah, I never really got that. Yeah. But the part of it that got me is, oh, human being, do the right thing. You may not ever get thanked for it, yep. but it's still totally worth doing. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a description of hope I heard once that was um, you know, talking about how optimism is saying, everything's going to be fine, so I don't need to do anything. Pessimism is saying, everything's going to go to shit, so I don't need to do anything. Yeah. And hope is saying, I have no idea what the outcome will be, but I will do what I know to be right. Yep. And, yep. and that to me was this, like, what I got out of the the story the crazy thing of Jesus. is that's
1: like that to me is like that's it like it's just that simple to me that the story you know of Jesus i mean you can boil it and there's there's a lot more to it obviously but it's funny that the you know mainstream church has like that all that you just said seems like something that never gets said or talked about. It's all this other stuff on the fringe and all this other, like you're saying, like heaven and hell stuff and rules. It's never, it's never anything at the, at the heart of what seems to be like the obvious point
3: of the story. And it's such a human story. I mean, that was the thing for me is like, I was looking and I, I read this, I think I told you about it earlier, this book, the wisdom Jesus that I read like maybe a year ago that was by an Episcopalian preacher, and she's talking about minister, uh, but she's talking about uh, Jesus as a teacher of non-duality, right? And totally, there are parts in it that really, you know, in her there was like the appeal of the Jesus narrative to me. <laughs> um, it's into like compared to Buddha as another teacher of non-duality. Mm. I mean, the Buddha was born into luxury. And in some ways, maybe it's m- more applicable to people growing up in the West now, growing up surrounded by comfort. Right. And can you find situations or make decisions which take you out of your bubble of comfort right. and uh, find more simplicity and and purity in that? Um, and, you know, the Buddha, he, yeah, he, was com- you know, he finished out, you know, really happy teaching meditation and it mm-hmm. all went kind of nicely. Right. And uh, Jesus, there's this... There's not a happy ending. Right. Like there's nothing Pat about it. And he came out of poverty and he, you know, he was a much more urban kind of gritty story, mm-hmm. right? He's uh, less Beverly Hills and more the Bronx. Yeah, and, <laughs> definitely. And I like that about him. Yeah. And when
1: you, like, what do you feel, because I love exploring like the whole idea of non-duality is so cool and so rarely talked about um in my experience, but like what in in Buddhism um like what are the tenets of Buddhism that would sort of deal with non-duality? Is that a weird question? Um, um, like within Christianity the the duality is like right or wrong, sinner, righteousness heaven is up, hell is down, you're alive or you're dead. And, um, you know, one thing that's really stuck with me having spent so much time with my nose in the Bible as a kid um, is just this idea that, you know, life is so much more complex and complicated and it's not about uh, black and... The black and white way of looking at things is easy, but it's very lazy and doesn't really lend itself to reality. Like, what would you say is sort of a, a dualistic hindrance within Buddhism?
3: A dualistic hindrance. I mean, it, it. I don't know. It seems based on non-dualism. I mean, the whole premise of Buddhism is showing up in the present, becoming more aware. Right, mindfulness as kind of the 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 ground level. Um, Where it's not so much faith or belief. I mean, there are definitely branches of Buddhism that are more devotional in nature. Right. Um, And, but at the same time, like, I think uh, the core of the teaching in the text is about, you know, perceiving from um, an increasingly broad base, right? Mm -hmm. Stopping, slowing down, learning to, be present in a moment, let it unfold, not necessarily believe your thoughts, let your thoughts pass and become more open to what actually is. And, um, you know, in terms of, you know, loving kindness practices and other, you know, it's it's not saying, oh, they're wrong, they're evil, there's a terrible thing. It's, uh, you know, always kind of aiming towards greater understanding, greater compassion that if someone's acting out of anger and violence, Uh, It's not because they are wicked or the enemy. It's because they are afraid, because they are scared, because they are out of alignment with their true self. And so, and down to the nature of, you know, reality, existence, matter. I mean, there is a real, um, you know, Dalai Lama was really getting off on quantum physics for, he probably still is, I mean, he likes that as physics progresses it seems to agree with a lot of yeah. Buddhist theory in terms of, you know, the physical world being kind of both being and not being at the same time, right? Uh right. even, you know, quantum, you know, this idea of uh, you know, the uncertainty principle, right? That the result of observation is dependent on how you observe something. Right. And reality were, will conform to the method by which you observe. Yeah. And so um
1: meaning like like the by observing something you're changing it somehow?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And so just this idea that uh yeah all observation has an effect any in and, and you know as all judgment has effect as all, yeah. so um I'm sure in practice there are lots of uh human foibles uh that that enter into Buddhist practice, but once again, as somebody who dabbles in all things rather than deepening yeah. into it, it's like And it was something that actually, like, going to Japan, it made me, like, seeing, like, oh, people pray. The idea of, you know, lighting a candle and throwing a dollar on a shrine and asking the Buddha for what you want is very un-Buddhist. Yeah. Right? It's like... as as I understood Buddhism and it's how a lot of the world operates and you know, it's human beings and we want to be able to make a sacrifice and we want to ask somebody for the thing we want. And Buddha never said he was a God. Buddha said, you know, my suspicion is Jesus said similar things of, I am, I am a human who has realized what they actually are and aren't Mm -hmm. and you are free to do the same. There is nothing that is not God, if there Mm -hmm. is indeed a God at all. And, and, um, and so I, uh, you know, watching Buddhism operate in Japan for me showed me a lot about humanity and that, that you can take this thing that I thought was like, so kind of esoteric and non-religious and you can still have it just be another religion. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you got grandma and she shows up and she goes to temple on Sunday and she does her thing yeah. and and you know she does, and and there's also an importance to ritual once yeah. again ritual is a way of embodying narrative right mm-hmm. um, i love yeah. ritual i think it's really powerful it's a way of play acting something yeah. true that can't necessarily just be put into words that yeah. has to be you know it's a way of entering the ineffable yeah and uh i i respect it yeah. uh you know as to whether you know the biscuit really becomes the body of Christ. Uh, I, I could debate that, but why shouldn't it be? <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: maybe that's not the point.
3: <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, once um,
3: again, non-duality. Of course, it's like you know, there's there's non-duality in Catholicism, right there. Yeah, it is. It is the biscuit, and it is the body.
1: Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> that's that's an important thing to remember. Like, um, you know, like the whole. <laughs> The whole thing behind improv, the mo- everyone, every person that's in yes improv, yeah, the yes and thing, and that's when I heard that I was like, that's so such a great life, just a life little little key to to looking at life, you know. And when you approach something that way, even if your reaction in your head is like, that's not right or that doesn't make sense or I see the in- inconsistencies, rather than saying that in your brain by saying yes and. You're just setting yourself up for for positivity rather than negativity, you know, by, by accepting. Um, my sister is calling me, but we'll do that later. Um, okay, Glenn, I have one more question for you before you go, which is, uh, do you have a memory of seeing a piece of art um, at some point in your life and having that art directly influence a song of yours?
3: I'm trying to think about that, and I...
1: Or an artist?
3: I'm not sure that that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 you don't I, have to have an answer. Yeah, I that's wish fun. I had a good
1: answer for I, that, I was, but yeah, I actually I,
3: think I, I haven't done that particular trick.
1: I um, I mean, every now and then I'll I'll see something, um, and certainly like movies, maybe are a little bit easier, um, a little bit easier to pull from as far as, like, stories and characters and things like that.
3: It would be a good exercise, I think, to, to do songs from paintings.
0: I mean, just because
3: yeah. you can write, you know, with anything, right? There's the thing on any novel, every character is the author, right? Exploring some right. idea that they have. And um, I've written a lot from titles you know somebody assigning a title and you go okay that's the song i'm gonna to write today yeah. or out of books where there's a concept i've loved you know whether it's Martin prextel or you know there was that song on the last album that was out of you know a book by the dalai lama and the, you know it's like getting inspired well, what, that real... way but i love the idea of just getting um like yeah, asking who's in that painting. I think I actually want to try that now. Yeah. I, it's,
1: to me, it's like I like the idea of a singular picture kind of mm-hmm. um, informing something that's that's not like a singular moment.
3: Well, this one was a good start.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, that is all we have time for. Um, thank you so much, Glenn, for coming down to my freezing cold basement um, to to do this.
3: Can I have more flaming hot Cheetos? no huh?
1: there are more flaming hot folks there are Trader Joe's cheese crunchies, so I think they're <laughs> slightly better for you, but um yes, I will pay. You like pay. to think
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: i have a I have a friend whose dad is a doctor and said that maybe I'll cut this out of the podcast, but he said that nine times out of ten when people come in with you know thinking they're pooping blood, it's just because they ate a bag of flaming hot <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> The first question is like, <laughs> did you eat flaming hot cheetos last night? And they'll go, "Yes, I did." Did you eat the whole bag?
3: Yes, yes. I did. Okay, go home. <laughs> this is the world we live in now. Good to know.
1: Okay. Um that's all we have time for. <laughs> Glenn, thank you so much. Um thank, thank you for Sean. listening, guys. all right folks you made it here we are at the end thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed my conversation with glenn phillips uh you can find him on instagram his handle is glenn phillips music that's glenn with one n there's a glenn phillips with two n's out there i'm sure he's a lovely fellow but that's not the guy you're looking for today uh check out glenn's latest record swallowed by the new it's fantastic and uh yeah check his tour schedule if he's playing anywhere near you Go see a show and go say hi and give him a hug. He's a very lovely guy and he doesn't bite. All right. <laughs> Take care you guys. See you next time. Thanks.
3: Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films. Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown, featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
0: Campfire.